Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Wiki Shuffle. This is our second Christmas episode. I am Jack Stewart. Hello. Oh wait. Ha- go. Chris. Hello. Wallace. Yes. Christopher Wallace and Phil Sharman. Hello. Five gold rings. Wow. Four calling birds. Three French hens. Two turtle doves. doves. And a partridge in a pear tree. Twelve. Drummers drumming. I've no idea. I was worried when we got into this podcasting game that I'd embarrass myself, but Phil's always here in tweaks. <laughs> yeah, it makes yeah. It me and you kind of get out of it yeah. scot free. <laughs> I'm just trying to inject a bit of the spirit of the season into mm. what we're doing here. Well, do you know what is going to inject a bit of the spirit of the season into us? What's Presents. That? Present, gift because giving. we're giving each other presents. Well, you're not getting any because you've had yours. Yeah, I was good considering just going home. <laughs> but as I gave Chris yeah. a lift here, I thought it would be quite rude. Yeah, just disappear to pay, play with your toys. Oh, shall I do the honours? Is that how we do this? Yeah, so we have Phil's presents to... Sorry, Phil's present to Chris. Yep. Chris's present to Phil yep. and my present to both of you remaining. Okay. So the one that Chris draws out now... Will be the next article that we feature. Exciting! Ooh, Exciting! It's me to fill. Oh! Yeah, I'm gonna get you a present out of my you big sack of presents. <laughs> right. Right. We will do that right after this musical interlude. So, Chris, your gift to Phil. Yep. What is this article about without giving without, it away? Why have you without giving it, it away, mm. okay. This article is... I'm multitasking, which I can't do. Uh, right, okay. This article is something that made me think of Phil a couple of weeks ago, and I can imagine this is how his life is sometimes. <laughs> I think that Phil is going to feel a little bit shortchanged with both of our gifts too. Why? I I just think that he will feel a little bit shortchanged. I, I think that's just my. 
no matter what they were, I would never be satisfied. Well, we'll see if you're satisfied with it's that. Just oh, it. When you've lived through as many Christmases yeah. as I have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. It becomes it's about the children really, isn't mm. it? That's what Christmas time's about. It's not about the grown ups. <laughs> yeah. So so it's okay if you've just got me a pair of slippers. No, I've got you I think it's a very thoughtful present and this is the season of being thoughtful. And what is the article that we're about to make Phil read? Shall I read it? Read the, the title. Yeah. Um, do you remember from the late 80s, the gold blend couple? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Well, I was thinking, it's got Giles in it. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, you're a bit like Giles. <laughs> I can imagine this happens to you. <laughs> I can just see it. So your gift to me is the gold blend couple. <laughs> yes, both of them. With Giles from Out of Off of Buffy. Yep, and and the, the other lady. woman whose name I I can't remember, but she was famous in and her own right. It's thoughtful because it was a romantic story. Yep, about two people. Yeah, blending. Yeah, gold blending. Some would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it was just an emotional time. It was. You <laughs> are. Why is that relevant to Phil? Just, just you are aware of my hatred of coffee. Um, <laughs> is that something well, that... I'm not getting and, you and I, romance. And romance. I'm not getting you the actual coffee. And adverts you... specifically. Yeah, all these things <laughs> are fine. And you ahead. <laughs> I'm just getting you the couple and their love story. Okay. If you think that you hate all the, of the aspects of this gift, wait until you see mine. <laughs> <laughs> coffee is going to seem like a distant The memory. coffee wasn't the important part. It was the love. It was the love. Well, and the, no. maybe the main part was the coffee because, you know, that's what we were selling. Yeah. But we were also sold on the story. Yeah. And as well, the nostalgia element of remembering what used to be on the telly. That's something that I always <laughs> love as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, thanks. You've missed um, <laughs> I don't feel as bad about my one now. <laughs> lovely. But, thanks. no, it is. It's a, it's a lovely story. Yes. And one that I don't remember the details, I'll be honest, because... <laughs> Of my hatred of everything involved in it. <laughs> but the gold blend couple. This mm. is nice. I'm going to read about the gold blend couple. This voice cracked. <laughs> when not, someone gives no, you a present that you hate. It's just what I've like, always wanted. <laughs> some coffee and some schmaltz. Brilliant. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't as well judged. Did you keep the receipts? Um, <laughs> no. That's the thought that counts. The Gold Blend Couple. Now, this is a incredibly British thing. Mm. Uh, it's it's going to be lost on any foreign listeners, but you, they can always think of Giles from Buffy because yeah. to probably more people in England will remember Giles from Buffy, mm. Anthony Stewart Head from these adverts that know him from Buffy. Yeah, yeah, and you can probably watch the whole saga on YouTube. I think you can. Oh, almost certainly. The Gold Blend Couple was a British television advertising campaign for Nescafe Gold Blend Instant Coffee. The original campaign ran for 12 45-second installments. <laughs> so you give me eight minutes worth of presents here. Yeah, but it's a big story. Do you like how quickly I did that? You did. I, 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 yeah. That I, was very impressive. I, I can do that. Mm. Yeah. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Eight 12. minutes with Anthony Stewart Head. <laughs> <laughs> 12 45 second installments between 1987 and 1993 it's kind of the because we were too young for this really I remember I don't think I was from young. popular culture but I, I don't recall the adverts being on the, you know I would have been five when they finished 
we kind of had the the BT couple. That was our oh, that's oh, the same. Our saga God, that with your man from my family, yeah, and the woman who was pretty fit. <sighs> Chris something was his name. He was in Love Actually as well. He was um, ghastly Love Actually. Mm. Well, mm. it starred Anthony Head and Sharon Morn. Mm-hmm. As Tony and Sharon, a couple who begin a slow-burning romance over a cup of the advertised coffee. Yeah. The ads were in serial format, with each ad ending on a cliffhanger. Yeah, because there was one. I remember they were on the phone, and the, the sentence didn't finish or something. They got the coffee. They got that bit. <laughs> but they were always leaving out the bit I was most interested in. <coughs> choking on his love for these adverts I drink gold blend the co- <laughs> it's worked the commercials were extremely popular and as time went on the appearance of a new instalment would merit considerable mm. media attention the ads were developed by McCann Erickson they are one of the most famous examples of serialised advertising I've got you a famous present you've got me a famous present that's true Beginning in 1990, new versions of the ads were produced for the American market. No. Oh, where Gold Blend was called Taster's Choice. I didn't get you them. And the uh, oh, so can I not talk You've about this? You just these? got Gold Blend. All right, okay. Gold Blend was called Taster's Choice, and the ads were referred to as the Taster's Choice Saga. Head and Morn reprised their roles. Oh, I didn't see that. But used American accents in the reshot ads. Oh, for fuck's sake after the first two nearly identical ads the American ads diverged into their own storyline it spanned (laughs) even adverts yeah America has to steal our adverts and our best re-record it this is probably the best (sighs) advert it's not the best advert it is the best no MASH the MASH is better than this sorry SMASH SMASH they had MASH we had SMASH whatever then it's not as good as this SMASH no. Those little aliens. Oh, stop it. Oh, we're reminiscing. This is the, this is the, the reminiscing. Oh, do you remember that? It's, this isn't criticism. <laughs> what you're doing is not... Oh, I remember a thing, because my synapses work properly, oh, as I they should. Shut up and read your present. <laughs> shut up and rem- reminisce with us. Yeah, you bastard. Oh, I did, I've just remembered, though. He did specifically say how he didn't like this exact sort of stuff. <laughs> yes, he did. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's never said that he specifically dislikes the stuff that I've got him for my article. <laughs> Okay. Okay. The campaign was a remarkable success, producing various tie-in products, including a novelization entitled Love Over Gold by mm. Susan Moody, mm. a video compilation of the ads, and two music CDs. So somebody in 1993 for Christmas genuinely got a VHS video eight minutes in length of the Gold Blend saga. Yep. Oh, I would have got that for you. That would have been a good actual present. The ads had a notable effect on sales, increasing them over 50% in the UK alone. They have been heralded as a premier example of positioning, creating an atmosphere of sophistication while remaining relatable. They were frequently compared to a soap opera, even sometimes favourably compared to their contemporaries such as Dynasty, Moonlighting or 30-something by nobody. By nobody compared them <laughs> favourably to those things. Because, ah. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't think you it. It's those words. Advertising executives, you are evil. It's, it's, not some, never... it's 
I've never seen someone put pour so much scorn. It's, over it's just a Christmas gift. Gift. It's like the gift's been just <laughs> thrown. It's yeah. just so artless, isn't it? That's no, the problem. No, that's the point. Is, no, it, it's this is high art. No. On, on the way over, Chris was telling. Chris was saying, "I've got a really good article for Phil. He's going to really enjoy it." <laughs> 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 to be fair, I enjoy this kind of bile. I'm enjoying these emotions. Good. I'm, I'm taking something from it. It's not gratitude, but mm. <laughs> I'm glad for Christmas. Famously, Head and Morn appeared on the cover of The Sun after their com- campaign concluded and the two characters confessed their love for each other. Aww. So sweet, like a delicious Aww. cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. In later years, there were two additional series of ads starring new couples. Ooh. The second series starred Louise Hunt and Mark Aiken and focused on a younger, more career-oriented woman running for six instalments until 1997. In 1998, a new version with Simone Bendix and Neil Roberts began, but the campaign was discontinued after only one ad. Because they couldn't get the same level of passion. The chemistry. Chemistry. That's it. With the original couple. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Any further remarks, Phil? Do you want to say thanks to Chris? Can you say thanks? Of course I can say thanks. Thank you, Chris. Um, it doesn't. I'm I'm disappointed that it doesn't go into detail what the story actually was. That would have been there. the fun That's bit. That's it. We have got yeah. to the end there. Well, we know what the story is. They fall in love. Yeah, they but how did they fall? In? It's all yeah. How the, did they the meet? Journey, what was the story? The well, she knocked on his door. Was it to borrow a cup of right, sugar? Tell, tell us what happened in the eight instalments. Installment <laughs> one. Go on, Chris. All right. This might be wrong. Okay. So, Anthony Stewart Head mm-hmm. is in his oh, house. It's a nice house. I remember it because it was soft lighting. It was all very soft focus. <laughs> That's what I remember it more than it anything. It was the 1980s. Was... Everything was soft yeah. focus. And then there was a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. And then Sharon knocked on and said, Oh, I'm Stuart Head. You could teach me a few. From the, from the Nescafe adverts. <laughs> you could teach me a few things about fighting vampires. <laughs> Yeah, and she said, oh, have you got any <coughs> milk or sugar? Mm-hmm. And he says, I'll go check. And that's the end of installment Possibly one. That's the end. I might be making this up, but it sounds right. Installment two. He gets it. <laughs> yeah, he installment gets three. It. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the, the sugar. You, you shouldn't sugar. have sex on the second installment. <laughs> he gets the sugar at one point. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I can't do the whole lot, but I know at some point he goes on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on holiday... And I remember he's lying on like, I want to say he's lying on some like coffee beans, <laughs> but I'm not sure if that's true, but it's definitely sunny and he's ringing her. Lying on some coffee beans. Maybe, or they're nearby. Maybe he's gone to the Nescafe factory. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> it's definitely a holiday. He's on a holiday resort. Yeah. It's, it's daytime. Yeah. They have a phone call. They don't really get anything resolved. Did you watch these? Yeah, I did watch them. I'm pretty sure this happened. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I think eventually it just progressed like that. And then at one point, they went, all right, enough of this coffee for play business. And then coffee they got, for play? And then they just got down to it. Coffee I don't think that I don't think that was on the advert, though. Get your then Buffy out. happened. Then okay. That's it. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Phil. Let's move on to the next article. Hi. Hi. Was it something I said? <laughs> Just business. Long? A month. 
It's long. I called round last night. You had company. You mean my brother? Came round for coffee. Brother. Golden roasted, richer, smoother Nescafe Gold Blend. I forgot to say, I'll be in New York. I hope you remember to take some Gold Blend with you. <laughs> so you might like to know I'm staying at the plaza. Okay, Chris, do you want to draw the next article that we're going to yes. discuss? How exciting. What are we on now? Is this three? This is the fourth. The fourth. Okay. So there's, hang on, there's me to Phil, me to Chris, and Phil to Chris left. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Okay. So this one is Jack to Phil. Oh! I like that. Okay. Okay, mine to Phil. More presents for me. And look, Phil, I'm sorry, because as I mentioned in the last episode, I tried to think of something good for you, but every article was just a bit dull. So I've just chosen something that I think is interesting <laughs> and that I think will completely destroy anyone's Christmas spirit. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Phil, my gift to you... I better not be more pissing wrestling. It's much worse. Much. You will wish that you'd had wrestling. Merry Christmas, Phil. We're going to be talking about Unit 731. Unit 731. Does this ring a bell? Means nothing to me. Shall You've I... probably heard of it. Okay. I think this is quite a well-known thing, but to delve into the details is going to be interesting. Happy Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Unit sure. 731 was a covert biological and chemical warfare research and development unit of the Imperial Japanese Army that undertook lethal human experimentation during the Second Sino-Japanese War of 1937 to 1945. It was responsible for some of the most notorious war crimes carried out by Japan. Unit 731 was based at the Pingfang district of Harbin, the largest city in the Japanese puppet state of Manchukuo, now in northeast China. It was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Kwantung Army. I've got a fair, right, I haven't read this article, yeah. but doing this for a while now, I can sort of tell when things are going to get rough think it's gonna get rough however rough you think things are gonna get think rougher oh god this is the most disturbing thing i've ever read Happy the um, what, san fernando massacre got nothing on this compared to this <sighs> teletubbies okay you see the san fernando massacre when we covered that and we did it earnestly and we did it respectfully and we did it out of <laughs> respect for respect for the process that we have yeah. mm. of the random article button taking yes. us to places that we might not necessarily want to end up yes the purpose of this exercise was friends being nice to one another no we never said that yes we did did the, we it's implied it is tacit oh, no, it's impl okay but i need i need a strict it's tacit. I think, it is tacit yeah, that when present. you are giving gifts, that they're nice things. <laughs> no, but okay. And I know you've been hurt all once already today by the gold blend fiasco. I think I'm fine now. What? <laughs> I think I think Christmas present rice, gold blend, nothing. What have you got in your family for Christmas? <laughs> that's that's what I worry about. The the little. Pouches of human excrement they're going to be opening up on Christmas morning while Look. you laugh your head off at the <laughs> suffering and disgust that you're causing. I'm not laughing. 
at Unit 731 and I'm laughing at the idea that I've given you this at Christmas. Um, and all of it, this is coming out on the 22nd or 23rd of December. Uh-huh. Um, which is just, it's, it's inherently funny, isn't it? Well, maybe to you. Maybe yes. that speaks Yes, that was it. That's what, that's... When I was doing it, I had that little voice inside my head that said, Jack, this may only be funny to you. <laughs> uh, um, okay. And sometimes I just don't just stop to right. think maybe I should listen to that voice. Okay. Well, thankfully, I'm a consummate professional. Mm-hmm. So I can give this a good crack and I will be doing my damnedest to be appropriate in the way that I read this article. Okay. And what's more, I genuinely have never heard of this before. Well, you will find this interesting. I was pretty aware that the Japanese were responsible for some atrocities in their time, mm-hmm. but specifics I do not know. So I am, in, I am genuinely interested to read this <coughs> and I think that it will have some educational value for me. It will. And I hope for our listeners as well, although I fear anyone who does know what Unit 731 was already may have reached for the dial already. The is dial. that a possibility? It is, Grandad. Yes, it is. <laughs> they may have reached for the dial already on the wireless and put their cup, cup of cocoa down in disgust. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's an insult to injury here, isn't it? This is fine. No, I'm, I'm, I'm switching on the consummate professional button okay. now. Go. And we're going to delve into Unit 731. I've just seen this is a very long article. It is, yeah. Let's, let's crack on. Between 3,000 and 250,000 men, women and children, from which around 600 every year were provided by the Kempitai, died during the human experimentation conducted by Unit 731 at the camp based in Pingfang alone which does not include victims from other medical experimentation sites, such as Unit 100. Between 3,000 and 250,000. That's scary in itself. There's that many people unaccounted for. It's the vagaries that are there. That is, as margins for error go, Mm. that is significant. Unit 731 veterans of Japan attest that most of the victims they experimented on were Chinese, Korean or Mongolian. Almost 70% of the victims who died in Pingfang were Chinese, including both civilian and military. Close to 30% of the victims were Russian. Some others were Southeast Asians and Pacific Islanders, at the time colonies of the Empire of Japan, and a small number of Allied prisoners of war. The unit received generous support from the Japanese government up to the end of the war in 1945. Formation In 1932, General Shirio Ishii, chief medical officer of the Japanese army and protégé of Army Minister Sadao Araki, was placed in a command of of the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory, which sounds like it might be advantageous for humanity. Well, that that's the sort of... Uh, I don't think this is a, a moral quandary by any stretch of the imagination because what they did was absolutely horrific. But you will see that they they probably... Well, we'll come on to it, but they, they've definitely gained some data from this. Which is a very sort of... It's the same as animal testing, I guess. Yeah. You're doing something horrific to get something that will be worthwhile for humans in the long run. But, you know, to for the that. short-term victims yeah. of it, it's, it's awful. Ishai, I'm just going to go with Ishai. Ishai organised a secret research group, the Togo Unit, for various chemical and biological experimentation in Manchuria. Ishai had proposed the creation of a Japanese biological and chemical research unit in 1930 after a two-year study trip abroad on the grounds that Western powers were developing their own programmes. One of Ishai's main supporters inside the army was Colonel Chikai... 
Chikahiko Koizumi, who later became, became Japan's health minister from 1941 to 1945. Koizumi had joined a secret poison gas research committee in 1915 during World War I when he and other Japanese army officers were impressed by the successful German use of chlorine gas at the Second Battle of Ypres, where Allies suffered 15,000 casualties as the result of a chemical attack. I'm, I was quite impressed by Jamie Vardy's goal-scoring record. That's impressive. <laughs> I was, to a certain extent, I was impressed by mankind being thrown off a cage. Mm-hmm. I'm not impressed. A little bit impressed by coffee <laughs> and the, the the feet of the advertising bastards. <laughs> I'm not impressed by 15,000 casualties as a result of a chemical attack. That is not an impressive thing. If you're not impressed by that, you're not going to enjoy the rest of the article. It's, um, so there's it's child's play in comparison to what comes next. There's a photo here of Shiro Ishii looking exactly like a Bond villain. Hmm. A special project codenamed Maruta used human beings for experiments. Test subjects were gathered from the surrounding population and were sometimes referred to euphemistically as logs. Used in such contexts as how many logs fell. This term originated as a joke on the part of the staff because the official cover story for the facility given to the local authorities was that it was a lumber mill. How funny. <laughs> the test subjects were selected to give a wide cross-section of the population and included common criminals, captured bandits and anti-Japanese partisans, political prisoners and also some people rounded up by the Kempe for alleged suspicious activities. They included infants, the elderly and pregnant women. Here we go. Take a deep breath. Prisoners, including one known prisoner of war, were subjected to vivisection without anaesthesia. Vivisections were performed on prisoners after infecting them with various diseases. Researchers performed invasive surgery on prisoners, removing organs to study the effects of disease on the human body. These were conducted while the patients were alive because it was feared that the decomposition process would affect the results. The infected and vivisected prisoners included men, women, children and infants, including pregnant women and their infants impregnated by Japanese surgeons. Prisoners had limbs amputated in order to study blood loss. Those limbs that were removed were sometimes reattached to the opposite sides of the body. Some prisoners' limbs were frozen and amputated, while others had limbs frozen, then thawed to study the effects of the resultant untreated gangrene and rotting. Some prisoners had their stomachs surgically removed and the esophagus reattached to the intestines. Parts of the brain, lungs, liver were removed from some prisoners. Chris's face is telling. It's telling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of sucked all the atmosphere out of the room, hasn't it? A, a little bit. A little mm. bit. Japanese army surgeon Ken Yuosa suggests that the practice of vivisection on human subjects, mostly Chinese communists, was widespread even outside Unit 731, estimating that at least 1,000 people were involved in the practice in mainland China. (sighs) 
Germ warfare attacks. It seemed funny at the time. Prisoners were injected. It seemed like a fun. Not not the article. The, the fact that I'm doing this at Christmas. It seemed hilarious to me last night. It's, it's not that funny once you get down to it. <laughs> Your motivation makes me wonder how difficult it would have been to coerce you into being one of the people doing these things. <laughs> that's that. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's the frightening thing about this. Don't give me that look, Chris. I'm not giving it any look. I'm, no, this is as horrific for me as it is for you guys. Um, it's just got the added twist of it. your I've responsibility it on, on you guys. And that, I see. That, to my twisted humour, is amusing. Germ warfare attacks... See, I, I'm fine. I'm not coming out of this badly. No. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing about You're this. right. You know, you are right. Me and Chris have totally fucked up on our presents. Um, and we apologise. Yes, I apologise for the coffee. Uh, can I have some more coffee? I'd coffee. happily have some more coffee. With some more, I'll do those fucking BT adverts. I'll do them. <laughs> I'll talk about that. Yeah. Even the more modern ones, where there are the university students in play. I'll even oh, talk about those no. ones. I'll even no. talk about those ones. No, I'd rather read this. Germ warfare attacks. Prisoners were injected with inoculations of disease disguised as vaccinations to study their effects. To study the effects of untreated venereal diseases, male and female prisoners were deliberately infected with syphilis and gonorrhea and then studied. Prisoners were also repeatedly subject to rape by guards. Plague fleas, infected clothing and infected supplies encased in bombs were dropped on various targets. The resulting cholera, anthrax and plague were estimated to have killed around and possibly more than 400,000 Chinese civilians. Unit 731 and its affiliated units, Units 1644 and Unit 100, among others, were involved in research, development and experimental deployment of epidemic-creating bio-warfare weapons in assaults against the Chinese populace, both civilian and military, throughout World War II. Plague-infested fleas bred in the laboratories of Unit 731 and Unit 1644 were spread by low-flying airplanes upon Chinese cities, coastal Ningbo in 1940 and Changdi, Hunan province in 1941. This military aerial spraying killed thousands of people with bubonic plague epidemics. Bubonic plague in 1941. Frostbite testing. Some Japanese justify their experiments with a discovery of a new treatment methodology for frostbite made possible by the human experimentation conducted in Unit 731. Japan intended to prepare to battle in the looming threat of the Soviet Union, which meant that the Japanese military had to be ready to treat large numbers of its soldiers for frostbite. So physiologist Yoshimura Hisatu conducted experiments by taking captives outside, dipping various appendages into water and allowing the limb to freeze. Once frozen, with testimony from a Japanese officer said, was determined after the frozen arms, when struck with a short stick, emitted a sound resembling that which a board gives when struck. Ice was chipped away from the area doused in water. The effects of different water temperatures were tested by bludgeoning the victim to determine if any areas were still frozen. Variations of these tests in more gruesome forms were performed. However, the best way to treat frostbite, which is used today, was established to be by immersing the affected area in water with a temperature of between 100 to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. 
This method differed substantially from previous treatment of rubbing afflicted areas. The aim and breadth of this research was in response to the historical flaws of other colonial powers' attempts to invade Russia. It's hard to see that as a silver lining. Yeah. So, yeah, we're better at treating frostbite as a direct result of this experimentation. There were other ways of doing that. Thankfully, we're recording this long enough outside of Christmas that i kind of forgotten about it by then. For people listening to it for the first time, it's their Christmas you're ruining. You're making people it never is, want yeah, to listen to Yeah, that's a good point. I only wanted to ruin yours. I'm sorry, listeners. Rape, syphilis and forced pregnancy. Oh, Women were used in specific experiments in Unit 731 in order to respond to the growing threat of syphilis among Japanese troops, among whom the prevalence of syphilis was high due to the systematic rape of women and the widespread use of sex slaves. Women at Unit 731 were either raped or infected with a serum containing virulent strains of syphilis. In documentation of these experiments, doctors remarked that syphilitic infection of the women was the result of a self-perpetuated, self perpetrated prostitution rather than the serum that had been administered to them external reactions change in skin and organ appearance as well as internal changes were studied in the case of the body's internal reaction to infection patients were vivisected or killed with autopsies being conducted immediately afterward forced pregnancy was also used to determine the effects of vertical transmission of the disease isn't it staggering the shit that people will do when they're told what to do mm-hmm. and the ideas that people come up with even in desperate times it's it, but I just do not understand how it could ever get to this point and yet it has so many times in history but the question that it raises in my mind above all else because this happens this happened it's nearly 100 years ago now we can't change that the people that perpetrated aren't alive anymore and or they're so old that it's of no consequence but the question is, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And in my mind, there is only one possible way of stopping this happening again, because there is something innate within people that they are capable of doing it. That mm. hasn't changed in the 100 years. No. What we can change and what we must change is making sure that there is such transparency in the way that the world operates that this can't go on without people knowing about it. Yeah, even then, they were obviously going to great lengths to hide what they were doing, but that was possible then. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think with modern technology and with modern cultural capabilities that that would be a lot more difficult now. And it's our responsibility to make it even more difficult, oh, yeah. to hold people in these positions to account and immediately. This is why things like the Snowden whistleblowing... Well, that's what I was going to say. That, that only came out because of whistleblowing. Yeah, but with a but there's a capability and a system in place that will allow that as a possibility. Sure, yeah. How could anybody involved with this that wants to, make, to like let it be known? There was no way. Whereas now, thankfully, through the internet and through our uh, media networks, as much as we like to criticise, they perform an incredibly important job of making this kind of thing impossible. Did, uh, at least I hope they do, because you know at the time I would imagine the people of Japan had no clue that this was happening. Mm. So there is a possibility. Obviously not on this scale. There is no way that 400,000 people right now are disappearing as a result. It is. But the takeaway from this has got to be, how do we make it not happen again? And being as open as possible and as well communicated as possible and giving a voice to every every person so that they've got access to the internet and their stories can be heard, that's got to be the method of doing that. And yeah. that, that, uh, to that end, I think it's really important that these stories get told. 
And mm. that's... That was my as, aim. As much as I'm not enjoying reading this out, I hope if we can make people think about that, if we can think about it ourselves, then that's that's an effective exercise that we're going through. Yeah. And then maybe if we could, you know, vivisect somebody while they're thinking about it, we can understand how that thought process works in a little bit more detail. <laughs> Oh, warped. It's Christmas, Phil. Come on. There's no need to joke about things like that. You all right, Chris? Yeah. It's just, you know, I have, I have a standard response to this sort of stuff. I do listen and I take it in, but I have nothing other than just this this face that I do, mm. which you can't see on the podcast. Yeah. It's and this. it's quite difficult to tie in personal anecdotes, I would imagine. Yeah, which is my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's yeah referring back to this thing that happened to you on the way to work the other morning that's kind mm. of similar to this i hope you haven't got any of those stories i don't good some would say that getting on public transport in corby no no <laughs> weapons testing human targets were used to test grenades positioned at various distances and in different positions Flamethrowers were tested on humans. Humans were tied to stakes and used as targets to test germ-releasing bombs, chemical weapons, and explosive bombs. See, some stuff, the frostbite, you can kind of see the logic. Mm -hmm. You can see where they would think, we'll do this and we'll see how the body responds. But testing grenades, you could test grenades on models. Uh Crash test dummies. You don't need real humans, really, to test them on. So... You know, there's some stuff here that, that could be worthy in a scientific sense, obviously not in a moral or human sense, um, but stuff like that is just, it's just them having a having a bit of a laugh, well, which I is think completely it's, fucked up. Completely dehumanise these people to the point where they are pretty much models to them. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the case, because that's what you've got to do. You've got to feel like you are so far removed from the other people yeah. in that um, which is the same as, as the Nazis did in, in, in Germany, where the Jews weren't just an enemy, they were an entire different species. Subspecies, yeah. Th- that's the only way that you can go about it, surely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm saying this as if I'm in any way qualified to talk about this, mm-hmm. which I'm not, and I don't mind when we're talking about gold blend adverts, but I want to make it very clear that I'm not qualified to pass judgment on these yeah. things. Um I can talk about Goldblum adverts because I remembered them. And, you know, I've got some sort of reference of this. It's so far from what I'm... I don't even know what the word is. I just, uh, so far removed from day-to-day life in the modern age that it's, it's yeah. hard to... I mean, even... But then yeah. you see... Uh, but that's what makes the things that are in the news at the moment so insidious because you can see the potential for anything mm. that serves to dehumanise other people. So if you talk about Muslim as if they are not the same as you and as if there's something intrinsically different from you, it makes perpetuating these kind of things a possibility. If you see other people as anything other than potentially your brother, sister, neighbour, then you can feel about them a distance and a, a, a lack of compassion and warmth that inevitably and has repeatedly led to this. And... The la- I mean, the last month or so has been particularly scary with the, that, those sort of comments, and you know, obviously Donald Trump, and I mean, Donald Trump's the leader in the Republican Party race. Um, it's terrifying. Yeah. And yeah, but it's with things like this that you know, having these sort of conversations, is that people realise that. I think Donald Trump now has set. 
He said he, he said, said so, much, so much now that for me anyway, this is the point where it's not. This isn't. It's not funny. a funny joke anymore. <laughs> no, yeah. no, this is like a serious. You can't be yeah. around. Yeah. Power. Yeah. And all this, humans repeating the same mistakes, which we've seen throughout history so many times. Um, but I mean, World War Two is still. There's still people alive from World War Two, mm. and we still remember it every single year with minute silences and you know Remembrance Sunday. And we said never again. That was a yeah. big takeaway from World War Two. Nothing other than never also, again. It was also the big takeaway from World War One. Let us not forget <laughs> That's very true, the war yes. to end all wars, as it was known mm. immediately following, yeah. and that lasted for not even a generation. So very we've true. done. So one way of looking at it is we're doing quite well. We've done well to get to this point, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, things are on the slide. <laughs> Other experiments. In other tests, subjects were deprived of food and water to determine the length of time until death, placed into high-pressure chambers until death, experimented upon to determine the relationship between temperature, burns, and human survival, placed into centrifuges and spun until death, injected with animal blood, exposed to lethal doses of X-rays, subjected to various chemical weapons inside gas chambers, injected with seawater to determine if it could be a substitute for saline solution, and burned or buried alive. Fucking hell. Placed into centrifuges and spun until death. Some of this stuff, you would have to be so warped to even think about it. To witness it. Oh my god. And obviously a lot of these people that are doing this are acting on orders. Mm. And that must be, you know, traumatic in itself to do to do stuff like that if you're not if you're not into it. Oh fucking awful. Whose idea was this? Biological warfare. Japanese researchers performed tests on prisoners with bubonic plague, cholera and smallpox, botulism and other diseases. The research led to the development of the defoliation bacilli bomb and the flea bomb used to spread bubonic plague. During the final months of World War II, Japan plans to use plague as a biological weapon against San Diego, California. The plan was scheduled to launch on September 22nd, 1945, but Japan surrendered five weeks earlier. I mean, how irresponsible and stupid is that? Surrender and immunity... Operations and experiments continued until the end of the war. Ishii had wanted to use biological weapons in the Pacific War since May 1944, but his attempts were repeatedly snubbed. Destruction of evidence. With the coming of the Red Army in August 1945, the unit had to abandon their work in haste. The members and their families fled to Japan. Ishii ordered every member of the group to take the secret to the grave, threatening to find them if they failed and prohibiting any of them from going into public work back in Japan. Potassium, chlor- potassium cyanide vials were used in the event of that the remaining personnel were captured. Skeleton crews of Ishii's Japanese troops blew up the compound in the final days of the war to destroy evidence of their activities, but most were so well constructed that they survived somewhat intact. American grant of immunity. Among the individuals in Japan after their 1945 surrender was Lieutenant Colonel, sorry, Lieutenant Colonel Murray <laughs> Sanders, who arrived in Yokohama via the American ship Sturgis in September 1945. Sanders was a highly regarded microbiologist and a member of America's Military Center for Biological Weapons. Sanders' duty was to investigate Japanese biological warfare activity. 
At the time of his arrival in Japan, he had no knowledge of what Unit 731 was, until Sanders finally threatened the Japanese with bringing communism into the picture. Little information about biological warfare was being shared with the Americans. The Japanese wanted to avoid the Soviet legal system, so the next morning after the threat, Sanders received a manuscript describing Japan's involvement in biological warfare. Sanders took information to General Douglas MacArthur, who was the supreme commander of the Allied powers responsible for rebuilding Japan during the Allied occupations. MacArthur struck a deal with Japanese informants. He secretly granted immunity to the physicians of Unit 731, including their leader, in exchange for providing America, but not the other wartime allies, with their research on biological warfare and data from human experimentation. American occupation authorities monitored the activities of former unit members, including reading and censoring their mail. The U.S. believed that the research data was valuable. The U.S. did not want any other nations, particularly the Soviet Union, to acquire the data on biological weapons. So the U.S. don't come out of this with their... I don't know. Is that good or is that bad? Again, well, they... it seems bad. It seems anything that is about secrecy and hiding and burying this information or uh, the truth of what happened well, isn't justice. They've granted they're, immunity they're pre- to yeah. all the physicians and the leader in exchange for the data. So, you know, they may it, as well have I done mean, it. The, the implication is it's to stop other people from getting the, their hands on that But it's that not data, really, is it? The US hold it above everyone else and say, yeah. look what we've got. You can't come and fuck with us. Yeah. And that's how it's being used. You know, if it was used, if they just buried the information and said, no, we're never good, never touching that, fair enough, but it's still being used as a stick to poke, you know, yeah. other countries with. Doesn't this get you down about the world? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Chris? Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but you got to remember that Christmas... Um, this would be interesting. It's nice. Christmas is nice. Christmas is nice. It's presents and there's crackers and there's pudding and um, Tiny Tim and songs. Carol's. Mm. Carol's going to be there. Is she? Yeah, she'll be there. So it's going to be a nice time. Okay. Let's hope that this gives us a little bit of, of hope to to end the story on. Although I, I, I'm not sure that it will. <coughs> the official government response in Japan. Since the end of the Allied occupation, the Japanese government has repeatedly apologised for its pre-war behaviour in general, but specific apologies and indemnities are determined on the basis of bilateral determination that crimes occurred, which requires a high standard of evidence. Unit 731 presents a special problem since unlike Nazi human experimentation, which the US publicly condemned, the activities of Unit 731 are known to the general public only from the testimonies of willing former unit members and testimony cannot be employed to determine the indemnity in this way. The American retrieval of the highly documented experimentations of Unit 731 is covert and not something either the US or Japan are willing to admit has happened in the first place. The Nazis and the Japanese collaborated in their experiments, although it does say citation needed there, so um, that's obviously a bit cautious. The Japanese history textbooks usually contain references to Unit 731, but do not go into detail about allegations in accordance with this principle. So, I mean, we, we talked about it being a long time ago, but it's still raw enough and recently enough that no one's 
admitting responsibility for it properly yet. In October 2003, a member of the House of Representatives of Japan filed an inquiry. Japanese Prime Minister Junishiro Koizumi responded that the Japanese government did not then possess any records related to Unit 731, but the government recognised the gravity of the matter and would publicise any records that were located in the future. And that's it. Genuinely, although uh, it, as gifts go, it's an odd one, um, <laughs> I I do like thinking about this stuff and it doesn't do anybody any good to put their head in the sand and pretend that everything is light and peachy and wonderful. Especially at Christmas. Especially at Christmas when we're deciding what to be thankful for. Well, it's that Thanksgiving, have I got confused? What's well, Christmas we don't have Thanksgiving, for? so we, we kind of do that we stuff have to be for Christmas. We combine Christmas. it, we're okay. efficient. Um, I mean, that is true. We're concerned about, oh, what gift have we got this person? But we have not been vivisected while alive. So, it's, it's nice. That is nice. It's good. It's good to be alive. It's good to be healthy-ish. It's good to be able to have a McDonald's when you want. You know... There you go. You dug this hole. If you're finding this difficult to talk about, <laughs> then you have nobody to blame but yourself. Right. So I think we'll 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 put that one back in its box. <laughs> I might not play with that one much <laughs> after Christmas Day, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, that one, you know, I've enjoyed it, and you know, I'm uh, the sentiment was mean, but you know, I've taken more from it than you. You know, not what you thought I would, which is just hate. I don't know what you thought I'd take from it, but I'm putting it back in its wrapping. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read food for thought. Thank you for listening to Wiki Shuffle, our second Christmas special. Sorry about that. Next week we'll be back again with another two articles. Um, we've done. In fact, I've had my, both my gifts. You've had, Phil, you've had, had both. That's worked out nicely. It's both mine. Chris. So it's both of Chris's next and then week. Then you do the picking out thing. Yeah. So we'll be back on Tuesday with um, our presents to Chris, just in time for New Year. Mm. Um, and so, Chris, uh, Phil, I believe you wanted to wish well, a few people happy Christmas. My concern here is that we've scared away any listeners. Possibly. So what I wanted to do here was to say thank you to our friends in the podcasting community because we have discovered in this year of podcasting that we've had now um, that it's quite an insular little months. community. Nine months we've Nine been in Wiki Shuffle, yeah. All. Um, but we've made lots of podcasting friends and we've been introduced to some wonderful podcasts ourselves and so we wanted to formally just say thank you for the wonderful words of support because we do get a level of feedback Um, I was thinking the other day if EastEnders or Coronation Street got the level of viewer feedback that we get how many letters must they have and wow. so obviously they just can't that's just not feasible so they're getting their 10 do. million well, no because that would be in, they would have to be dealing with literally millions of emails every day what yeah. I'm saying is that our listeners are way better than anybody that watches EastEnders that's that's the point I'm agree. making that's true it does make it worth it when you receive when we, like when we've received posts and stuff yeah. like that because sometimes you do just think this is a lot of editing this is quite dull <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to have to go and spend time with Chris and Phil again exactly. every yeah. bloody week every week 
and yeah it does it makes it worth it you realize that yes people are listening and yeah um, for whatever reason some people enjoy it which is yeah it's great and uh, yeah you know, and there are podcasts well. out there that we get a lot of enjoyment about as well so i'm gonna i'm gonna rattle through them apologies if i've missed anything and and interject if you can think of any others that i've i've forgotten but classy little podcast is just an awesome american podcast where they do a very similar shtick to what we're doing but with far more professionalism the bastards um they yeah they do what we do but research things yeah, before doing it the buggers um yeah it, 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 it's, it's it i've only to... just started listening this week yeah. and i've listened to i listened to the latest episode and then three of the early ones um so i'm gonna go through the whole lot yeah that, that's it. great um dr blots and yeah. home of the recursively curious podcast um is another friend of the show the lucky Ten Thousand as well um always got nice things to say about them failed critics could a little bit of nepotism there because we do guest on failed critics quite often a and lot of nepotism a lot of nepotism <laughs> and we will be guesting again i'm up over Christmas, I'm doing their year re- end of year review show. Okay. Are you doing? And then we're all doing, doing any. And then we're all doing the Pick a Flick podcast. All three That's of us. A secret. I mean, it's a, it's a secret what films. It's we're a secret what about. film we're talking about. So we we won't give what that away. Been, what flicks have been picked? Yes, so, but we will be guesting on the Pick a Flick podcast, um, the Bottle episode as well. Jack guested on that recently, so this is all yeah, nepotism this week. here. Yeah, yeah. Download um, it. Death by Horror, nice little podcast, nice simple um, format there. Yeah. Uh, little bit racy. Our fellow nominees for the UK Podcasters Awards. I'll be guesting. This is all just nepotism. This is just <laughs> plugging totally. things we're going to be doing in 2016. But and I'll what, be guesting. So little bit racy and the other one. Go on. Who was the other one that was Bad Perspectives. Damn it. I thought you wouldn't remember. <laughs> no, I remember, although I haven't listened to them for a while, I have to admit. Um, and finally, Monday Graveyard, which is a better music radio show than anything that exists on the radio at the moment. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, it is he absolutely fantastic. Um, as a, a mix of sort of ambient and avant-garde music, it's just fantastic. So check out Monday, Gra- um, Monday Graveyard. Uh, think i apologize There's if i've forgotten anybody um, but we love everybody we do love everybody and we especially love especially you especially you listening right now mm-hmm. yes Mum. you <laughs> <laughs> oh does she still listen to this yes this is oh, every week she's God. our most dedicated fan she's a couple of weeks behind at the minute actually dedicate our most dedicated, Dedi- most fan, dedicated fan, fan of weeks yeah. behind. Uh, bloody that, brilliant that tells you something let's give it, it up so happy christmas everybody yeah sorry christmas. for ruining christmas just think about it. Think about the things you can be thankful for not being in a Japanese internment camp right now. Mm-hmm. That is the main thing you should be thinking about over Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, we hope you have a wonderful um, festive period. And enjoy your turkey. Ugh. Happy Christmas, everybody! Hooray! It's killed Chris. Unit 731 has <laughs> absolutely has. destroyed all of your Christmas spirit. Anyway... Yes, happy Christmas, and we'll see you again next Tuesday. Bye. Bye-bye. Everybody's got something they had to leave behind. One regret from yesterday that just seems to grow with time. There's no use looking back or wondering how it could
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.